0: This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Today, we're back after Labor Day, Uh, after a hiatus. I was in Scotland. Tim was in Ireland. Um, So we left the Emerald Isle. We're back stateside. Uh, We're going to label this a series Season seven, and since we've been gone last few weeks, the markets obviously came off a very strong summer rally, and then there's been some serious hemorrhaging. Uh, at the same time, yields have definitely increased as well. So, with that, let's just kind of get started, Tim. Let's you know just have a couple synopsis of what's happened last couple of weeks, and uh, you know tell our listeners, you know, what, what your thoughts are.
2: Yeah. So, look, I, I think the big we, you know you had the big summer rally. You had real easing of financial conditions. Not only were equity markets up a lot, but but rates came in a ton. So you really did have all of a sudden the Fed's job getting harder. And the Fed was looking at financial conditions getting easier. And Powell came and did what he had to do at Jackson Hole, which was to tell people that I don't know why I don't know why my thoughts were misconstrued. I do think he was kind of sloppy with his words when he talked about, you know, uh, being at neutral and all that. I think that was confusing. So he came out with his very stern eight minutes at Jackson Hole. You know, the thing that I noticed about the Jackson Hole Symposium, though, was, was some of the other speeches. Uh, and what you're starting to hear from more and more speakers, and we've talked about BlackRock, and we've talked about uh, Bridgewater, and other entities that are really talking about longer-term structural inflation. There were other speeches, like the speech from the head of the BIS, at uh, the Bank of International Settlements, Jackson Hole. Again, about long-term demographic issues, long-term structural issues that are driving inflation. So it's not just, you know, Larry Summers, this idea that stickier inflation for structural reasons, because of demographics, because of productivity, because of a lack of immigration, um, you know, it really is starting to resonate. And to some degree, I think you see that playing out with the 30 year, uh, making new highs at three and a half. So. Powell did his job, financial conditions have tightened again, equity mark- markets have come off, uh, the the uh, mortgages rates are back up close to around 6% on the 30-year mortgage, and I think that will really tighten things up. I mean, the first thing that you'll see and that you're already seeing, uh, the first manifestation of, of the Fed's policies is in housing, and housing is all important in my eyes um and that really is the first way you'll see financial conditions tighten things up and you're you're seeing that now you really are seeing much weaker uh housing numbers across the board and i think that takes a while to trickle into uh the impacts on consumer confidence on consumer spending and and on the economy overall
1: so economists seem to be in a weird spot where they're very divided on whether we're in a recession right now and the jobs data definitely isn't helping, uh, jobs have remained strong. The August numbers were strong since we've been uh, on break. So there's a huge discrepancy, uh, GDP still declined the second quarter. I think there was a slight revision, but it was still a decline. So you have two years of decline, but I mean, we kind of go back to the old school way of we're really waiting on the national Bureau of economic research. Uh, Um, does that make sense really to be, asking the bureaucracy to officially find it, define it, or do you think there should be like pretty, you know, concrete parameters? Uh, I mean,
2: it, it really is just, it's really just kind of semantics, right? Whether we label it uh, a, a recession or not a recession, it's two quarters, not two quarters, whatever, like, who can, I mean, the NBR isn't going to help anybody. They're going to tell you, they're going to tell you you're in a recession well past everybody knows you're in a recession. I mean, I would argue you didn't really have a recession in that you have nominal growth up around, what, 4 or 5% you have, and you're adding jobs. I mean, you're adding a couple hundred thousand jobs a, a month. I just don't see how you could call that legitimately a recession. I think a recession is ahead of us, but I don't think that we've had one already. The, the point is, though, is that the Fed, in order to get inflation down, is going to have to cut wage growth. And I don't you know we were you were traveling in Scotland. I was traveling in Ireland. The story is the same in the in Europe as it is in the United States. You chat with people. And everybody says I don't know where all the workers are. Yeah, I, I don't understand yeah. why it's so hard to find people to work. So you're going to have to slow this economy down really meaningfully. And there are economists out there who think you're going to have to get to five percent unemployment, six percent unemployment, to get wage growth where you really need it uh, to be, and really take housing off the boil uh, to to get inflation down to two percent. And one of the other things you heard at Jackson Hole is Jason Furman talking about. 2% may not even be realistic anymore. Maybe the Fed and, and other central banks ought to think about 25 and 3% as a number on inflation. Of course, the problem with that is that with a lot of short-term debt, if you're at 3% in perpetuity, your maintenance cost Go way goes way up. Therefore, taxes have to go up or something. You have to do something in order to pay for much higher servicing costs. So, I don't think that any of the central banks really want to go for that now. I think they'd really rather see us get to, get to 2%. I just think there's a lot of pain that's going to have to be endured. And I think Powell has been clear uh, that he is willing to uh, be part of that pain. Like, you know, he's put that Paul Volcker mantled uh, on his own shoulders. I don't think he can back out of that. So I think people who think that it's going to be 50, pip, 50 bips, they wait and see, and maybe they're cutting at the end of 23, that just strikes me as wildly optimistic thinking.
1: Yeah. We're banking on a slowdown, but at the same time, it seems that people have more breathing room. I mean, at least you have this Lending Club report Uh, In July, 59% of Americans said they live paycheck to paycheck. That was down from June, which was 61. Um, You know, you've seen low-income workers, you know, have been hit pretty hard, but consumer spending remains pretty strong. Um, Yeah. And, you know, whatever it is, at least on the thresholds, there's a few percent of the population that feels uh, like they're not in a paycheck to paycheck situation as they were, you know, earlier in the summer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, you look at negative real wage growth, that's, a, that's, a, that's an average, right? So, it's different for everybody. If if you don't live in a city where your rents are going up every month, or if you don't have to drive to work, you don't have to drive 30, 40 miles to work, you may not be feeling inflation all that severely. You still got food inflation, of course. But, you know, inflation is different for everybody. It depends on, on your circumstances and i think that as a society you know worker the worker has been getting the short end of the stick for 40 years right it's been profit it's been capital that has been winning uh and workers who have been not keeping up well that that has changed so i think that there are some good aspects to the kind of wage inflation that we're seeing right now for society but it's not good for markets because in a really tight labor market where you've got, and this is this is really um, Posar from from uh, Credit Suisse who's been talking about this, where you've got a really tight labor market at the same time you've got this really tough commodity inflation uh, that does create that condition, that wage-price spiral that everybody worries about. So you know we're still not that far out from this massive overdone stimulus from a monetary and a fiscal standpoint. I think most of it has been spent by that low-end consumer, uh, but you know, B of A was out talking about that that um, that, it, that even for their lower-end clients, and I hate that expression, but I don't know a better way to say it. Uh, you know, they're still they're still their accounts are still higher by several thousand dollars than they were pre-pandemic. I I think the risk though uh, is, as I said, is going back to the housing side of it. This tight housing market. Uh, is really coming off the boil and I think that hits everybody in a very real way because we're we're all so reliant on the value of our houses. It's our biggest asset. It drives so much of our confidence that when housing starts to weaken and when housing goes negative, uh, I think you'll start to see uh, those sentiment readings and those paycheck to paycheck readings get worse.
1: One thing that might be interesting, I, I mean, at least for me, is that how much of this recession is delayed by vast corporate profits? Uh, when you look at, you know, August 25th, post-tax corporate profits reached 12.1 percent of GDP. I mean, that's the highest since the 1940s. Uh, you know, companies had their second quarter results. Dozens noted that they still have a capacity to raise prices. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of striking to me that they, they still have that much um leverage functionally and 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 you know then profits are still that frothy so yeah. what changes that and is that something that happens in the near term
2: yeah i think everything that the fed is doing in tightening financial conditions changes that yeah. and and you know you first see it and and this is uh, michael cantro from um from peckar sandler who talks about this he's got this acronym hope which is at first hit you on the housing side then you start to see it in orders in manufacturing and then you start to see it and, um, and 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 profitability, um, and 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 it just it just kind of slowly starts to work its way through. So yeah, we're coming off of this period of incredibly high of 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 great earnings growth. So that's good uh, and great profitability. Um, but when confidence starts to break down, and CEO confidence has really broken down. CEO confidence is hitting lows. Uh, small business confidence is hitting lows. Uh, I think you're 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 just starting to just starting to see the breakdown in uh, operating profits, um, in management confidence, and you you know you're starting to even see that that big disparity between um, uh, job postings and job seekers start to come down a little bit. So you will see wage growth start to slow. I believe that we have long-term persistent wage growth problems. That is not to say, though, if we go into a deep recession, the Fed isn't going to get what it wants, and you're going to see much less. Uh, you 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 will ultimately see. You have to see for the Fed to do its job, a labor market get a hell of a lot weaker.
1: And then, and from the energy standpoint, obviously, there's huge developments since we last spoke. Uh, Two primarily. Which is that due to the punitive nature of sanctions, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin has called for an indefinite halt on gas supplies through Europe's main pipeline. So that's one. And then the second is smaller, um, but, you know, still kind of annoying from my standpoint and all the people who say it's important for us to maintain good relationships with the Saudis, uh, is that, you know, the OPEC is... Decided to announce a small production cut of 100,000 barrels a day to bolster prices. Um, yeah, let's talk about the ramifications of both those. Um, I mean, OPEC might be a little bit more semantic and on the peripheral, and then Russia seems to be a much bigger deal. But
2: yeah, I mean, the Russia problem isn't going away. I mean, yeah. Putin knows the hand that he's got. You know, it is amazing how reliant. Europe has gotten itself on cheap Russian oil and cheap Russian gas, uh, and there's just no way out of it. Uh, you know, the, the, in the UK, you saw trusts, uh, the new prime minister say, look, we're, we're just gonna we're going to subsidize energy and they'll do the same thing all over Europe. So, they're going to basically print money. They're going to print a tremendous amount of money in order to subsidize uh, energy uh, spending. Uh, or else, the, I mean, imagine what would happen if you didn't. I mean, how could you manufacture anything in Germany? You know, how could you manufacture anything in the UK if your if your actual energy costs are up 5 and 10x? You just couldn't. Uh, so, they have really no choice but to try to print their way out of it. Um, and then, you know, with the Saudis, Saudis are not our friends. They are the only area of where there's really some spare capacity, but there's not much. And I think they've made clear with this little nominal cut in production that they don't want oil going lower. Oil has come in a lot. That's part of what has, um, has improved financial conditions. But I think the Saudis have made it very, very clear that they don't want oil lower than where it is right now. And given that they are the only ones with the spare capacity, they've got the ability to keep oil prices higher, even in a much weaker demand environment. And as we've talked a lot about, You know, you don't have enough capex uh, for the US players or for the the global majors to kind of fill the hole, or really the will to fill the hole. I mean, I think the majors probably want oil around $100 as well. You're not gonna see them go out and spend a tremendous amount of money to grow production. As a matter of fact, I think the most recent The most recent trend on rigs is the rig count is actually going lower again. So it's not like you have uh, a safety valve where all of a sudden we're going to be drilling a ton more or growing production a ton more in the Permian or the Bakken or anywhere else in, in the lower 48. So Uh, I I just think that we have a long-term energy issue, and it is one of the reasons why I think that we have long-term, higher, secular inflation. And what you'll see is, you know, you look at how solar stocks are trading in in the last uh, period here, they're on fire. And there has to be just massive spending on infrastructure, on alternative energy infrastructure, solar, wind, hydrogen, uh, all of the above strategy. Uh, in order to make a transition to to more sustainable base power.
1: Yeah, I think I saw, and I forget where it was, whether it was just EU broadly or if it was a specific country, but sales revenue of candle makers is up 800% as this <laughs> price system, right? So that's just not the kind of stats you necessarily want to hear unless it's, you know, Scented candles, and it's you know, it's an affluent market, but that's that's not what's happening, right? Um, right, people are going to base level energy cuts, and uh, you know, there's kerosene and then just regular candles to kind of deal with that. So,
2: So you can see it look at, at California, California today is asking people to uh, you know, raise their thermostats to keep their lights off. Uh, you know, they could have roving uh, brownouts today, all through California. Uh, it's the same thing that you're gonna see uh, in the UK and all through Europe. They're, they're going to be, because ultimately you have to have less demand for power. I mean, we, we're gonna create other power sources um, uh, with the energy transition, but ultimately you've gotta use less power too. Uh, and you'll see, you know, all kinds of efforts at doing that. That is not a formula. However, for growing your economy, so there's just there's just no way out of it other than much slower uh, GDP growth. And I, you know, my view is that we're going to see a real recession, and we'll see kind of an L-shaped recovery coming out of that. Uh, that is what the, that is the only prescription for when you one don't have enough workers and two don't have enough energy.
1: Absolutely. Um, anything we overlooked? Do you think this week?
2: No, I think those are, those are the big things. Um, you know, I'll be interested to see, um, uh, we're kind of entering into the, uh, we're getting not too far here from the elections. Uh, you know, I, I, the the view is certainly getting much more optimistic on the democratic side that, uh, they could pick up a couple of seats in the Senate. I don't think anybody is forecasting yet that the Dems are going to hold on to the house. So I, I think that even in a good scenario for the Democrats, you are going to have a government that won't really be able to get anything done for the last two years uh, of the of the first uh, you know the uh, of Biden's uh, presidency. So uh, you know I think that all of the legislation that you were hoping to get and and there will be a tax package that will be um, that they'll get done here um, before the elections, but outside of that you know you're not really going to have have much progress on the political side
1: yeah no some of the special elections have really surprised me uh one in alaska most notably uh, with sarah palin they'll have to run that one back in november for the full term but um yeah it's last few cycles the polls have been all over the place so i don't know if this will this will be the third cycle where who knows what the results look like versus the polling um there seems to be some kind of breakdown from what there used to be. I mean, there was the golden age of polling, and now its it definitely doesn't seem to be that way. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how that turns out, too.
2: All comes out to who motivates their base. Who's got the more motivated base? And that always seems – I guess that's the part of it that seems to be hardest to measure. Who's got the best – who's got the more motivation?
1: And whether uh, – used to be the rule of thumb was a motivated voter base would usually – um, help left of center politicians, but now that's certainly not the case either. Uh, you can have high voter turnout and it can be uh, for right of center politicians as well. Yeah, so. yeah. All right, sounds good, Tim. Well, thanks uh, thanks everyone for the likes and subscribes. Uh, we'll be back regularly next, next week. It's good to be back and we're out.
0: The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.